children who understand their ancestry, their heritage, their culture are more empowered. They are more resilient. They know that they're not just a product of their immediate family. And just because their immediate family is, you know, new immigrants or struggling or marginalized, they could go generations past and see engineers and doctors and artists. And, and that's what people need to see because, I mean, personally, that, that impacted who I am and it's impacting how I parent now. Hello and welcome back to What Kind of Asian Are You podcast. I'm your host, Kyle. This podcast is a podcast featuring conversations about being Asian. Just a quick intro about our two guests today and what they do. So today we have Anika and Jennifer from Root and Seed. I became aware of them when Anika interviewed me for their podcast, the Root and Seed podcast about my story and my journey with documenting Asian diaspora story on this podcast. Their podcasts explore culture and family heritage. It's a very fun podcast, very inspiring one. For sure, check out my episode and the other episodes that they uh, had with various guests. But that's not their main thing. Their main thing is producing products that allows you to explore your unique family stories. They do it through conversation starters. They are on a mission to end the loss of tradition so that you can claim your family heritage, tradition, ritual, recipes, and stories as their own. Their ultimate mission is to bring together fellow tradition seekers to claim, honor, document, and celebrate their culture and let it live on in their own words, thoughts, action, and experience for generations to come. Both of them are daughters of first immigration immigrants who grew up with unique experiences and mixed feelings about their family cultural heritage. So our conversation cover all of those things about how they grew up, who they are culturally, their experience being Asian diaspora, how it, their project came to be, how they started the podcast, and also their business of you know, create conversation packs to help people you know reclaim their family heritage. And um, it was a fun conversation. If you want to support them, follow their journey, follow the things they do, buy their conversation pack, and listen to our podcast. Now, here is Anika and Jennifer from Rule and Seed. Hi, Jennifer and Anika. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Kyle. We're well. Thanks so much for having us on. We're so excited to be on your podcast. We actually had the pleasure of having Kyle on the Root and Seed podcast uh, our last season. And so we're just happy to have another chat with you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I, I think people need to check it out. It was great storytelling, great interview question. Anika did great as a host. I think I want to start off with letting the audience know a little bit more about who you two are, what you're about, and most importantly, what kind of Asian are you? Kyle, thanks so much for having us. It's so great to see you again after interviewing you, like Jen said, last uh, last year. My name is Anika Chabra, and I'm one of the co-founders and the host of our own podcast, uh, Root and Seed. So a little bit about me. The roles I play in my life are really important, uh, so I've mentioned them here. So definitely being a co-founder with Jen by my side has been a tremendous privilege because we both worked in the advertising industry together before. I am a daughter, a wife sister, a mother. And so those are roles that I also hold very, very near and dear to my heart. 
from a background standpoint, I come from a South Asian descent. And I love your question. What kind of Asian are you? That's like one of the fun things that we chatted about on your podcast episode was just that love of that question and the way that you've interpreted it and, and actually brought that to the world. For me, I am almost like a reclaimed sensitive Asian. Growing up, I was incredibly sensitive like hypersensitive. I would cry at pretty much everything. And, you know, told not just by my family, but by society to hide that. You know, I was sort of said, like, you're too sensitive, like, make sure you don't cry in public and those sort of things. And I felt like I had to hide that for a big majority of my life. And again, that wasn't just cultural. I think it was like society wise, like, and I remember my parents not wanting me to go into things like business because business is just so cutthroat and you know it's uh, something that uh, where my sensitivity would not be appreciated but I did I eventually went into business just advertising and it's actually come full circle where I have leaned into my sensitivity and I actually think of it more like a superpower now so I've really taken that again from my cultural background from society's background uh, shunning and hiding my sensitivity to now being I would say a very proud sensitive Asian that's awesome. Jennifer, what about you? Oh, I love Renanika. That's a hard one to top. <laughs> but again, it's a it's a great question. And with Root and Seed, we tried to like go into people's cultures and identities. And so we, off the top, you know, what am I? My background, I'm a little bit of a confused one because I'm a mixed Asian. I'm half Thai and then half Irish. I grew up in Boston in a family that very much pressed our Asian-ness in order to assimilate with the Irish-American side of society and that it really made life probably easier for my brother and I and for my family but on the same token we were also kind of is taught not to question things because you know my dad was a certain way and you couldn't question it because you know we're supposed to show a whole facade of being another way and uh, for a lot of my life I just rolled with the punches. I just accepted things as they came. And as an adult coming to create Root and Seed with Anika, she had this glimmer of an idea that she wanted to help people rediscover and reclaim and really own and celebrate their unique cultural identity. And that's when I realized there was a whole half of my heritage and my identity that I knew nothing about. And as an adult, I think I've become a curious Asian. And I love that. Because now I question everything. I dig deeper. Like I fought so hard to add a section in our uh, company that is about not just that initial prompt, not just asking that core question, but how do we help people dig deeper? Because that's been so important to me. So I think I'm a, I'm a curious Asian. Awesome. I love both of your answers because it brings me back to kind of like the whole idea of like a lot of us, you know, growing up in the eighties and the nineties where, you know, being Asian, regardless of what part of the world you were in, if you're a diaspora, it was constant, like you got to repress it or it won't, even if you're proud of it, you don't really outwardly be like, oh, I am Asian, all that stuff compared to now in 2023, where it's like, it feels like it's almost very cool to be like, no, oh, I'm Asian. I have Asian, you know, interests and stuff like with K-pop and all everything around it. But for us growing up is like, where you could be Asian, you could be proud of it, but it won't be very outward comparison now. And I think we share that sensibility. So it made us to where at this point where we are an adult, 
we can control our narrative. We can do what we want. So then we're really pushing in all the stuff that we do creatively and business-wise to push the narrative, like, you know, reclaim that cultural heritage that, you know, maybe didn't often really put out that much energy to when you were young to like helping others do that right now. And I think that's really awesome. And you two bring a great point of like, you know, being curious and also the sensitive part. So I was wondering with both of you, um, what would your kind of experience or feelings towards being sensitive as whole, being like Asian in the diaspora, like your sensitivity towards that growing up? Because Anika, I think you said it specifically, you're sensitive as a whole. So in regards to that sensitivity regarding to your own cultural background and stuff, what was it? Was it really hard for you growing up or what was it that, you know, you really felt a lot of that you didn't really know how to unpack when you were younger, but now you kind of figure out how to do it in a great way? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, and with with complete respect for our parents' generation, because, you know, in many ways, they didn't have a lot of those uh, experiences. They didn't have the societal um, understanding and appreciation that we have and the mental health resources and those type of things. But they certainly didn't have that ability to be able to let our ourselves know about things like healing um, and identifying and naming things. And I think that's as an adult something that I'm doing a lot of and through Root and Seed have been able to accomplish. But for me growing up, there's a lot of confusion, right? There was a lot of like, confusion in the world, in the communities I was around. I didn't necessarily see where I fit. I didn't even really fit within my culture too. And I I think that was interesting because, you know, I was slightly more, I guess, darker than, uh, you know, some of my peers. And so I felt actually colorism within my own culture. I wasn't really that Indian enough, you know, I didn't speak the language, those type of things made me feel even within my culture. I have to be honest, Kyle, like even when I was like, you know, coming onto this show, I was like, I don't know, can I be on a show called what kind of Asian are you like, I still like and it still comes up for me because these are things that you know, haven't been fully healed. So they're like mini triggers, right? Because they come up and it's like, Oh, I remember that I remember not feeling like I was part of uh, my own culture too. So I think from a cultural standpoint, that was certainly uh, some confusion I had, like how Indian was I? I wasn't speaking the language, I wasn't didn't know how to cook. And I certainly didn't feel like fully accepted within my own culture. And then I predominantly lived in communities that were were white. And so, yeah, I didn't really feel like I was necessarily a part of those parts of my uh, my upbringing as well. And so, you know, I remember things like being on the playground and being picked last for things because it's like, oh, and I and it's funny because like recently I was in a women's group doing something and I remember I was picked last <laughs> during the women's group. I was like, guys, this is like two weeks ago. And again, I felt like I was on the <laughs> on the playground and I was being picked last. And so I just, there was a lot of confusion growing up about my identity and I couldn't quite picture or point or have language around what my identity was. And so I spent a lot of time alone, I'll be honest. You know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, had my stuffed animals. I would play school with them because I figured my parents are teachers. So I'm going to go into teaching. That makes a lot of sense. I've got lots of education in my background. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, in the swing in the backyard, in my room by myself, 
I didn't have a big social network growing up. And so there was a lot of kind of acting out that happened in my early years. And, you know, my parents themselves were trying to figure out their way in a country that was very new to them. And they were also for the first time, they didn't have a blueprint of parents who had done what they did. So they didn't have anybody to look to and say, okay, I know how to act. I know uh, what the social etiquette is around this. And they just, you know, they almost always constantly wanted more, which is I'm very appreciative of because that is something that I've inherited too. It's just this like go getting, I want more, I want to achieve more. So I very appreciative for that. But on the flip side, <laughs> You know, things like taking breaks from work and, you know, not over pleasing at work. And those sort of things are also things that I think I inherited that I had to really shed as an adult. So to sum it up, I think my upbringing was a lot of confusion, not a lot of identity and not a lot of self-awareness. So I did definitely act out a ton did not have a very like positive relationship with my parents growing up when we were in our teen years, which I'm very thankful that I was able to turn around as we got uh, got into sharing things like when we I got married and had kids and all that fun stuff. But yeah, confusion, lack of self-identity, lack of self-confidence, you name it. Jennifer, same thing. Oh my gosh. I, I think it's crazy. I spend all day every day with Anika and I've never heard her share like that. And I'm I'm totally self-reflecting and being like, I was the loner kid. I didn't know who I was. And I was told to be one thing, but I couldn't really be it. So um, it was, yeah, a lot of confusion and a lot of alone time and a lot of just like struggling to fit in and feeling that insecurity that comes along with it. I think growing up in the United States, there were a lot of races and especially in, in Boston, they consider it a stew. There are so many cultures represented, which was nice, but there were very few mixed race families. And so that almost made it a little bit more complicated because I was a child of the early 80s. And this was definitely a time when mixed race marriages were rare, when mixed race kids were like, ogled on like what are you and that was tough because and you know you layer on the Asian dad trying to make you everything for everyone and it it just softens and quiets who am I as a person so as an adult I think I carried along a lot of that repressing just trying to fit in people pleasing like Anika mentioned and I have I have genuinely changed in the last two, two and a half years since we started Root and Seed because I started asking my family about who they were when they were children and understanding my, you know, my father, how he came up into his career, which he, he very much hid and sheltered from us because he had to work really freaking hard in order to be, um, you know, an immigrant with a thick Thai accent trying to, you know, make a life in a, you know, very... New England um, kind of corporate world and like hearing his stories now have just helped me understand who I am and where a lot of my insecurities come from and where a lot of my strengths come from and it's made me just a much more confident and resilient person and I if if I didn't have root and seed and uh, I don't think I would have figured out a lot of these things 
And because we're just genuinely curious people, Anika and I, we've started doing a lot of research into the social benefits of telling your story and understanding your past. And it is true. There are studies that show that children who understand their ancestry, their heritage, their culture are more empowered. They are more resilient. They know that they're not just a product of their immediate family. And just because their immediate family is, you know, new immigrants or struggling or marginalized, they could go generations past and see engineers and doctors and artists. And and that's what people need to see because, I mean, personally, that that impacted who I am and it's impacting how I parent now. So growing up Asian in the West, I think it was a, it's freaking tough. But the more you can try to balance where you are and where you come from, I think it helps. Yeah, for sure. Like both of what you have said is really hitting hard because I could relate to all that you said, or at least where these kind of conversation I've been having on this podcast shares similar elements. And it really takes you becoming an adult, finding your own way and then revisiting those kind of uh, past you know, pain points or like traumas that you may have and then just heal and use what you have learned to create something else that could benefit yourself and others futures ahead. I think that's what I kind of see you guys doing where you're learned what you have learned from being Asian in the diaspora as a kid and teenager and stuff. And now you can apply those to help, you know, those try to figure it out, figure it out sooner. Cause I think for us, we figured out, I don't want to say too late, but like if only we could have it where like at 15 year old, we could have already gone on this journey. Imagine how much further ahead we could be in terms of, you know, reclaiming who we are or being comfortable in our own skin. Cause I think a lot of times with this conversation podcast that I have, at least one of the guests always mentioned like, Hey, I wish I had this podcast conversation when I was 15. It helps because it teaches you so much or hearing other people going through it and providing you with like, well, it's only, it's only going to be better. It can improve your life just by keep going at it, be proud of who you are. I think we need that. And you are providing a community platform that, you know, helps, you know, keep those stories alive so that people hear it, that they could learn and you know, grow from it. I think that's really powerful and empowering. And that's, that's why I love doing this podcast and having people like you guys come on because you guys really embody, like, you know, try to work it out so that, you know, our future generation could not necessarily have an easier path than us, but at least more groundwork so that can work on rather than be like in the dark. Cause I think all of us didn't have like reading materials or like media or like just family telling us how we can approach it. Cause our family wouldn't know cause well, they just got here. They're immigrants. They are not going to know how to deal with being a kid in the West when you're either mixed or, you know, your, your parents don't know anything regarding to the blueprint of, you know, parenting in Canada. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I it's funny that you, as you were talking, I was talk I was thinking about a conversation I had with my daughter. She just came back from her first year in university and I said to her, we were driving by her high school and I said, "Oh, do you miss it?" And she's like, "Yeah, kind of." And and she said to me, "Do you miss it?" Like, "Do I miss high school?" And I was like, "Not at all." Like that makes me I just want to shut that part of like I don't want to f- even think about it sometimes, but to your point, understanding it, remembering it, like healing it, healing that part of me is really, really important. But it's so funny because for her, you know, she had a very different high school experience than I did, clearly, because I'm the one who was picked last and 
had to stay in my room because I had no friends. <laughs> yeah, the current generation is is really lucky. I mean, they're they've got their own demons to deal with, but at least the world is a lot more open minded and being different is you know lauded, whereas before it was you know shamed. So, yeah, we've come a long way. Yeah, I, I was just thinking like, wow, like the concept of being Asian in the diaspora. They don't really talk about it back in the day because it's like a lot of them just want to survive. So they don't really put into practice like, oh, what does it mean to be Asian in diaspora as new immigrants and all that stuff compared to now? We literally have like, oh, let's say Asian American studies or whatever it may be. Studies going on like to understand what has got happened, what is it like and provide like good material that you can learn from and like grow from. Because I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, the Asian diaspora kind of topic is not as great now where everyone has a podcast that could talk about it, right? And thank you, Kyle, for that. <laughs> I was just going to say, it struck me that it would be kind of uh, cool to have somebody from like my generation and my daughter's generation on and you could ask her. Like, I don't even know how she would answer the question, what Asian are you? Like, it'd be so... In fact, I'm going to ask her tonight. I'm going to let you know. One of the proudest moments I had as a parent, my daughter was probably six, seven years old at the time. And she went in a carpool to piano camp. And <laughs> she was taken by a South Asian family, lovely family. And they're they're playing like Bollywood music in the car and they're dancing and they're singing. And the little girl who was going to camp with her was like, Poppy, what are you? And she's like, I'm a human. And she's like, no, no, I'm Indian what are you? And she's like, I'm a person. And and she's like, no, no, I, I like Indian food and I like Bollywood music. And like, what what are you? And, and she's like, a girl. Poor thing, had no idea. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess in some families, you know, your culture is loud and proud. And so for that little girl, it was loud and proud. And like, go you. But then in my family, I think we have generations upon generations upon generations of just trying to be normal like just be like everyone else and my poor six-year-old is like i'm a person <laughs> not wrong. i mean she's not wrong so it, then it comes back to like where a lot of conversations need to be had like oh your background your history so that they know yeah. and preserving those stories and such and that's what your 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 project your business is all around but we're gonna get to that in a bit still. I just want to know, how did you two meet? So Jen and I worked in advertising for the latter part of our careers when we were in corporate. And luckily, we were able to work together on um, several clients for about five years, actually, which is quite amount of time at more kind of senior levels. We were sort of those people in the office that we worked together on a lot. We pitched a lot of clients together. People are like, oh, yeah, Anika and Jen are on that. And we knew we were going to pitch it and we, we knew we were going to win it. And we knew we were going to service that client. So we kind of were able to see it from beginning to end. It wasn't like we were like the pitch team that came in. We were the sexy women who came in and like dominated everything. And then we left. We were actually able to run businesses really well, which I think was very important to our working relationship. And then I left first. And then I remember, like Jen said, I had a, like a just a, this, the beginning what's before a seed what's before like just a glimmer of a of an idea and i knew it was really important to me that whatever i put out into the world had a point of view but also tools like i just wanted to make sure that 
I was really helping people to do what I was on my journey to be doing as well, which was to really understand my family stories. And so digital came to mind and doing something around technology. And so Jen was top of the list. She's one of the smartest people that I know in digital and technology. <laughs> um, so she was the first person I called. And truthfully, I called her to see what her ideas were around, you know, potential people that I could partner with or hire or what team. Jen's very, very good at assembling teams and putting people in their places of excellence. So that was the intention behind the call. But then the two of us, you know, sort of hit it off and she liked the idea. And as she says, we never, we haven't looked back, but, you know, I think it's important to say that there was a lot of trust. And I, interestingly, I remember actually my husband saying to me super early, like, you know, 72 hours or 96 hours after Jen and I decided to, you know, give it a go and see, see how things go. And the number one thing that he asked me is, do you trust her? Like, he didn't want to know, is she good at what she does? He didn't want to know even, is she passionate about what you're doing? He didn't even want to know, like, you know, qualifications. He's like, just, do you trust her? And I thought that that's, that will always stay with me because I absolutely do. And I think that's important because there's so many things that her and I are doing independent of each other on a day-to-day basis, decisions we're making, you know, she sort of obviously is from the digital end of things. And so like she's making decisions all the time that I don't need to get into the intricacies of and vice versa. She doesn't need to get into intricacies of my spreadsheets. And so I think that's an important thing that we were able to build when we were in corporate together that has served us well, because at the end of the day, we may have conflicts, we may disagree, you know, she may have stuff going on in her life, I might have have stuff going on in my life that doesn't make us the best person that certain day. But if we don't have trust, then it's really, really difficult to build something. So I would say that was and continues to be our number one strength. And Kyle, I know that this is not a business podcast, but if anyone is listening and they're trying to find a business partner or a co-founder, Anika and I had five years of working like on the line together in the trenches, trying to figure out complicated advertising projects, building technology. We each have our areas of strength. We have complementary skills and we were never best friends. And But we had a mutual respect and understanding for each other. We knew that we could rely on the other. We knew the other was a super genius in their field. And I think that's why when Anika says that there was trust when we came together, there was. And I've seen so many best friendships and relationships end over bad business. And I mean, our relationship is where it is because we started as people who mutually respected each other, as opposed to like, I want to spend every day with Anika that wasn't the idea. Like, I don't think I'd spoken to Anika in a few months before she called me. And all of a sudden we, now we talk to each other every day. We know we get along. And um, I think that's, that's been just really, really nice. Cause now we're friends, obviously. I mean, she, she might as well be, you know, my wife. Cause I talked to her more than I talked to my husband. That's, that's great. And you guys mentioned how like you guys started, you know, thinking of just wanting to start something where, you know, with your, uh, digital background advertising, uh, creating something technology-wise, a tool and stuff. But at the crux of it, from what I can see from the outside looking in, your company or your business 
revolves around technology, obviously, but it goes further than that. It goes into storytelling. Yeah. And that plays such a great, important part in how successful it can be and what it means. So for you two, I was just wondering, for your kind of experience and your thoughts, what is storytelling? How? What is good storytelling for you two? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that question. I don't think anyone's ever asked that question. But um, just to roll it back for a second, Root and Seed is a company where we are on a mission to end the loss of tradition. We, for different reasons, Anika wanted to make sure that she was able to capture and document her family's traditions and her family's stories so that they could live on for generations and be celebrated today. And I realized I had a whole side of my family's heritage and traditions that I wasn't even aware of. So we started on a quest to end the loss of tradition. So that means that you have to capture them. You have to document them. And when we started talking to people, we realized that, yes, people want to document, but they don't know what the stories are yet. So we pivoted and changed up what the solution, what is the offering that Root and Seed is bringing to the world a few times? Because, you know, it's not always a straight line to getting to achieve your mission. And that's when we realized that we wanted to help people have the conversations with their loved ones, with their elders, um, motivate multi-generational conversations so that that storytelling can come out really authentically, really genuinely. And of course, there is going to be some people in our lives who have trauma, who are triggered by some stories. There are people who the memories are foggy and we wanted to give them all the tools to facilitate a really fulsome conversation. Half of our online tool that we started with um, was designed with questions written with a child in mind so they could ask their grandparents because children are an amazing icebreaker when it comes to getting elder generations to just start talking. And it's because the questions are simple. They're innocent. They're just a, a way to get into like, Nana, what was your childhood like? And, and you know, maybe the the answer is like, I don't remember. I played outside a lot. But then the dig deeper questions, it's the benefit of an online tool. It's not just that core prompt. There are multiple dig deeper questions underneath it. And it might be, um, who made your breakfast in the morning? And all of a sudden, Nana, whose memories are foggy, she's thinking about, you know, the kanji and she's thinking about her her mother who would make it in the morning. And, and you know, it's just flooding back what their kitchen looked like and who's running around. And, and that's what we wanted to bring is it's not just a tool. It's not just conversation prompts. It's not just um, a way to record the conversation, which it is because we want it to be authentic. It's all about audio. We love podcasts. We love um, the idea of just clicking record, putting your phone on a table, letting the conversation flow. We don't want people to be worried about video and what does my hair look like? And, you know, in the world of cell phones, there's always like a phone in front of you. If I'm going to record you while you're telling the story, we don't want that. We want genuine eye to eye conversation. We want people to go down rabbit holes. We want to help people learn that sometimes a pause is important as 
our our loved ones are thinking back and processing a memory and figuring out how to get it out of their mouth. And so that's what we see as the beauty of storytelling and capturing it in the voice of the loved one so that when we go back, we can hear their intonations. We can hear the the giggle. We can hear the, you know, just the the memory in their words. Because the longer we wait to write something down after, you know, we hear the stories, it, it starts to, you know, our memories fade too, even though we're in our prime. And so we wanted to help people have the tools to capture a full story and then also preserve it for generations to come. I, I was just going to comment on like, I really like the aspect of recording the audio because I think that's great. That's a great form of storytelling. That's where it started from people back in the day tell story orally passed down from generation to generation when they don't write things down, but it still gets passed down. And I think that's the beauty of it, with your app, with your conversation prompts and starter and stuff. I was just going to say, I just, you know, Jen and I, when we were doing this for ourselves personally, like she had mentioned, we had different kind of sparks to actually do this with our own families. We realized that there was many tools out there, but they were not built for people from marginalized backgrounds. And so that was really important to us, right? So making sure that we were culturally sensitive in the prompts. So there's many companies that have questions out there, but they're not necessarily inviting for people from different cultural backgrounds. And, you know, we started off this conversation and Jen talking about her, you know, mixed, 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 mixed background. Well, this is brilliant for her family because she's not being asked to check any boxes. You know, her daughter, who has such a very beautiful, rich kaleidoscope of a background, can just jump right in. And I think that's what's beautiful about that. So it absolutely is inviting for people from cultural backgrounds. But also don't forget, we are talking to cultures whose backgrounds and whose elders and ancestors have faced war partition, the Holocaust, you know, the Vietnam War, we're talking about very, very painful memories. And, you know, if my mom was still alive and and she knew I was doing this, which, you know, I guess this wouldn't have existed if she hadn't passed. So it's kind of an interesting thing for me to think about, but she would not have wanted to go back. She would not have wanted to recall those stories now, as Jen said, like she would do anything for her grandchildren. So I'd probably put them in the hands of her grandma or my children and make make her do that. But it struck me, my 82-year-old father, you know, until I really got into this with him, he couldn't understand why I was looking in the past. He's like, why? Why are you asking me these things? That's in the past. Don't forget, these are immigrants who looked forward. They looked What's the next big thing that we can do and build and grow in this new country? And their countries were in their rearview mirror. They had respect for that, for sure. But it wasn't like they weren't tethered to the past. Whereas I think our generation is now looking at the past as there's value in looking at the past. And there's value in deciding what you want to take forward. But unless you look at the past and understand those stories, you don't know what you want to take forward. And I think that's the distinction. And it, t- <laughs> it, took a, it took a couple of tries with my dad, but you know, we ended up getting to a question that asks around, um, does our family give back to our community? And he absolutely fell in love with the prompt. Like it was just something that sparked some, this pride in him because he reflected on how his parents 
had values of giving back to the community that he now and my mom did give back to the community and now how myself and my brother's generation are now giving back to the community. And for him, he just saw that like just open up this the possibilities around that. So it's an interesting thing to think about having conversations with people who have dealt with war and trauma and the sensitivity back to that term that is needed in having those conversations. I really appreciate that. Not only you're asking the deep questions, but it could be like you mentioned with the kids where it start off as icebreakers, where it's very casual. Like it's just like a normal board game where like you just start off, you know, very casual. And if you want to take it deeper then you could, but there's no requirement. I think the option to go deeper is really much when you're ready. Cause I think there are people that are ready for a casual kind of just, you know, have fun in games, but when they're ready and you have these prompts that can go deeper, it could really hit them, could really get them started on thinking that, you know, it, it would happen eventually for them, but it could be just a spark one random day. But here you have an actual physical item, physical app that, you know, could prompt them, you know, lightly rather than be like pushing it directly at them, which I think so much of us trying to figure out our identity has been that where it's always some sort of element of like our life that has suddenly trigger us. It's like, oh, I'm thinking about this and that's all I could think about. I need to heal from this and then I make action. But with your prompts and such where it goes deeper and deeper, it could gives you time to think about it, reflect, and then, you know, say out the answer and then other people can chime in if they want and go from there and kind of recover and heal. That's how I see it in terms of the whole kind of what you guys are doing with, with what, you know, conversation starters and such. And my question now is with the thing that you have created with all that you've done, with the people that have tried it, what has been your personal favorite prompt that is in there that you really like? And also what has been the general feedback you got from people who have tried the game out? That is a great question. We had the opportunity to test a new product with a bunch of people over the holidays last year. And one of the things we learned about launching with a digital tool, because we're like, let's be a digital company. That's the way of the future is that especially when we're trying to motivate intergenerational conversations, our elders like something physical. So yes, it's great that, you know, the, the, like our generation can flip through a, a mobile browser tool at all of the questions on like digital cards, but elders wanted physical cards. So we created that and we put them out last winter. We just had a Kickstarter, which was wonderfully successful where each question prompt has a QR code underneath and that QR code scans directly to the tool so you can get the dig deeper questions so you can get the record function directly to that that prompt and it's really nice because it doesn't like let's say it's an elder who's holding the card they always have a reminder of what the that core question is and it's the family member's job to start probing with the dig deeper they don't even realize they're they're you know becoming journalist type, you know, in interviewers. So there's two ways that we like to use the cards. And the first way is to let family members pick. Like what what do I think Nana's gonna have a great answer to? And one of the safest questions we've noticed people will ask is what does our name mean? And you think it's an easy question, but it is not an easy question. 
I didn't even know what my name means. Turns out Sirapung means nothing. It was the next name on the immigration register so that my dad could have a unique Thai name when he was getting his passport to leave to the United States. And that conversation led to the fact that, wait a minute, dad, why did you need a new name? What was your last name before? And all of a sudden, my dad has a new last name that I'd never heard of. <laughs> oh my goodness. So these questions and in a lot of other families, it gets into the etymology of it and what does it mean and how far back does it go and how does the cha the changing of the spelling you know, impacted our family over generations, over generations, over immigration, so on and so forth. So that's actually been one of the simplest questions to ask when people are trying to pick them. But the thing that we love is is oracle style, where it's this idea of people get overwhelmed by choice. So if you put all the questions out and let somebody choose one, they're kind of gonna be like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to answer any of them. But if you pull a random question out, and this might be a question that you're like, I don't think uncle has an answer to this, you pull that question and it's just one question, give them five seconds and they will have an answer. And that's what I love about it is because there's there's four categories, tradition, celebrations, family stories, and food. And there's, if you pull one randomly, it's incredible what you'll, what you'll learn. Any thoughts, Anika, on your favorite kind of prompt that is in the, in this conversation starter? Yeah, I, there's there's quite a few for sure, of course. The one that comes to mind is and actually, this one is really interesting in mixed company. So you don't have to be in your family. And we could chat a little bit about the success of that. But this question is, are there any ingredients in our culture that people outside our culture don't understand? And it's an interesting one because I think that's very revealing. And it also it's in many ways educating, especially in kind of mixed company, because all of a sudden you are revealing something that might be very mysterious about a culture or something that might be stereotypical or something that may be slightly negative. And I think you're shining a light on that, which I think is interesting. And then building empathy, which is what happens when we put this in mixed company because people start to understand each other better. And, you know, Jen talked about the, uh, the testing that we did over the holiday season and then our Kickstarter. We actually had a number of businesses, corporations that actually wanted to use our cards in their teams amongst peers from different cultural backgrounds. And we've seen the real success for that, so much so that we're going to be working on a workplace edition of our cards as well. And I think that one of the questions like that, those are the type of questions that I think not only can be very revealing, but it can actually get to a place where it can be very healing between people and generations and between humans, which I think is really special. You mentioned your favorite prompts. How about the ones that didn't make it? What are the ones that, I'm assuming there are many that didn't make the cut for whatever reason, not because it's bad or just- Hundreds. Yeah, so what would be one that you didn't put in that you really like as well? It's a good question. Wow. I'm, I'm going back to my spreadsheet. as well. It's probably open. <laughs> oh, it's totally, there's, there's always a spreadsheet open. Um, what, you know what? I think there were a lot of questions that were just too simple. And we wanted our, our core prompts to be really thought provoking. So like if I look at some of these and that didn't make 
you know what? I just posted one to Facebook today. It was one of the best questions that we have, the most recorded that didn't make it into the deck. And it was, who is your top pop culture influence growing up? Hmm. And I love this question because when I asked my dad, I heard about a whole bunch of people I'd never heard of. Like these were Thai superstars that, you know, influenced him when he was a kid. And all of a sudden my kids are asking him to find them on YouTube. And of course, everything exists on YouTube. So it was so <laughs> it was great. And everybody's got a pop culture reference. It doesn't need to be American pop culture. I think that one is a great one because it could be where you probably knew it your whole life because just because your your father or grandfather just keep referencing it or just how if it's like a singer or songwriter or whatever maybe they might be singing the song your whole time you with your 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 elders but you didn't realize oh it's from someone or like they don't mention that oh it's from this and now you finally click oh that's who you've been singing songs about from and it's like wow mind blown it's like oh so I knew about them the, my whole life. It's just that I didn't know their names or you didn't tell me how important they were. I think that's amazing. You should have put it in. <laughs> there will be expansion packs. Don't worry. It will see the light of day. We promise. Awesome. And we talk a lot about like what the like the the the, expe- the pack, what the conversation is like and such. Going back a little, what has been kind of like first your greatest takeaway with going upon doing this project together and also when you guys are playing it yourself with your family what have you kind of uncovered within yourself and your family that you know really like a light bulb kind of moment for you guys I think for me definitely one of the biggest takeaways I mean we're we're constantly learning every conversation I mean I mean th- we're taking away things from this conversation that's going to just help build which is so exciting. And that's why we have our own podcast, because just understanding these stories is is just gold. But one of the things that I realized probably early on, because, you know, truthfully, even before Jen was involved, I thought I might have some sort of grief platform, to be honest, because my mom had passed. And I thought maybe it's something around grief. But as I expanded, and I, then I started talking with Jen, and then we started talking with people within our circle. And then, you know, as you know, the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you build a community. I think the notion and idea that everybody has a story worth capturing is really important. And I, I'm going to unpack that. So I, and I remember when we got interviewed by the CBC, I even started saying this. I was like, well, I have a very typical South Asian immigration story. You know, my parents had a arranged marriage and they got married in the 60s and then they went to England and then they ended up in Canada like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Absolutely. On the surface, again, box checking. Yeah, they, that's probably like a lot of people's stories. But and, you know, I have it written in front of me, you know, all the things that I've learned through Root and Seed about my own family and both my parents upbringing. And not until I went deeper, <laughs> dig deeper and put on that curiosity that Jen talked about early on and really start to understand the layers of our stories, the distinction between their two stories. Did I really realize that my story is actually quite unique and it allowed me to understand the whys behind some of the decisions my parents made early on, the whys behind things like their personalities, you know, some of the choices they made growing up. And I just think that's super fascinating. So I think everybody has a story that's worth documenting is a very important 
I guess, point of research or point of uh, aha moment. And I've just learned a tremendous amount about the textures of my family. They're just, you know, I know people more intimately. I have way more empathy for people, I would say, way more tolerance for people in my extended family. I'd even say that I've learned things like, you know, two, three generations before I had, you know, my great grandparents were actually entrepreneurs. And I was trying to figure out, well, no, I thought everybody was, you know, educators. I thought we were all educators. That's why I went into education. And I was trying to figure out why I was so compelled to go into business, even though, like I said, my parents didn't really want me to go into business because they wanted to shield me from that cutthroat world. And I was just, why did I keep on getting pulled back to that? Well, hey, it's in my blood. And I think that was one of the most special things is that I somehow had this connectivity to a great grandfather who I only know by a picture and a name now, but it's kind of really cool to be able to think about that it really is in my blood and it was just waiting to be almost like a fire being stoked, right? So yeah, that's how to answer that. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to kind of merge it with some of the other great questions that we have in the tool because the things that I've learned about my family, I had no idea. Like we were your typical middle-class American family uh, with the exception of the fact that we were a mixed race. And I had, you know, an Irish grandfather and a French grandmother who lived in my intergenerational house. Again, I guess that wasn't very normal, but we we had that. And um, we always had treasures in the house and I didn't question them. They were just, my Nana had treasures. And so one of the questions in the deck was, are there any heirlooms or family treasures or, you know, what are special items in your house? And I asked my mom, finally, all the little brass figurines that were in Nana's dining room proudly displayed, which are now in our sitting room proudly displayed. They've been passed down by generation. She's like, oh, honestly, I think your grandfather, who my grandfather served in World War II, he was employed by the state. He, you know, was a janitor. He was a garbage collector. He, like, helped with elections. But he was a veteran and he took any job he could. And one of them when he was a garbage collector, he would find these little treasures as he was unpacking the garbage and, you know, dumping it into the the bigger dump. And he would pull them out like shiny metal and clean them off and he'd bring them home to my grandmother. And she she kept them all and they're beautiful. And now they're these beautiful, like artistic brass pieces and we love them. Like we treasure they were someone's garbage. And my grandfather pulled them out of the garbage and That was just a crazy story that some of the most valuable items in my house were pulled out of the garbage. And, you know, my dad telling me stories about when he was in Thailand and what he would, you know, one of our questions, what was a typical day like for you when you were a child? And he's like, I would, you know, I didn't have money and my mother would just give me rice for, for breakfast, but I wanted more. I wanted peanut butter and I wanted eggs and I wanted milk. So he'd grab his little sister, who's probably like three at the time, and give her some form of tchotchke garbage that he could find and have her sell it on the street. And then he'd take the money and go buy milk powder and he'd go buy peanut butter. And that's how he got so tall and strong compared to his brothers and sisters. But like just learning these things about my family, like I, like where they come, we, where we come from, those are not stories that get passed down, but they're stories that came up with pride when we ask some questions and that's that's really changed the way i think about where i come from and resilience and what we treasure yeah both of your answers just make me think of like this 
the importance and the power, the magnitude of just conversations with those around you. It doesn't have to be family. Of course, in this context, it's family, but to anyone who you can share, you know, a conversation with, know more about them, that you can understand their humanity, their history, their stories, and have empathy. I think that will help so much in our everyday life. And your, your mission with Red Seed, all that stuff is so great. And I can see more great things ahead for, you know, for Ruin C because it's a great product that you guys have figured out. You guys are just going to keep making it better and better. But I do want to talk about like your podcast because the one that I appeared on that I really appreciated it to be on. But like, why did you want to start it in the first place? Because it seems like it's a good extension, but it's not a very straightforward, like, why are you doing this specific kind of reason? Can you just explain why the podcast came to be and kind of just what are you kind of trying to get from doing that podcast? Because, no, it's really special. Thank you for saying that. And can we just pat ourselves on the back? Because doing a podcast is not easy. And we've talked to a lot of podcast experts, and they say that most podcasts don't go past the first season. So I think you, Kyle, should be super proud, and we certainly are, are incredibly proud um, of our podcast. It's a really, really good question. In fact, you know, we spoke about our background in advertising and marketing, and one of the things we realize is that providing inspiration, helping people to understand your point of view is actually really, really important. So we actually launched the podcast before we did anything else. That was one of our very first things was making sure that we had a podcast and a point of view out there through our blog that was allowing people to see the stories and the potential of storytelling within our, our podcast uh, and community spotlight. So it was really important for us to put that out there. So as a sort of go-to-market strategy, if you will, making sure that we had inspiration in the beginning was important because, like I said, not everyone, including myself, realizes that they have a story that's worth capturing and, and, and noting down. And so when we launched our first season, truthfully, with friends and friends of friends, because we thought, like, why not start in our small circle and start to have a conversation with people? And what we ended up doing was the stories that came out and the response that people had across not just the Asian diaspora, but all cultures was in remarkable because we would have people say, you know, a South Asian person would hear somebody from a Chinese background and they would talk about how they walked into the York University um, Cultural Center and they saw their people. And she was like, that's exactly how I felt, but with South Asians, you know, when she got to become, uh, you know, a university student. And so... There was these really kind of interesting um, moments of clarity that people um, got inspired through through the stories of different people. And also, we had this very interesting thing in our first season where two of our podcast guests realized that they had um, their grandparents and great grandparents were from a very small village in China that um, doesn't actually have a lot of people in it anymore. And so like just this cool thing about like we are part of something bigger was really, really interesting. And so um, that was kind of our first season. And each of our seasons, you know, Jen does such an unbelievable job executive producing and really helping us to craft the narratives and stories. You were part of that as well in our documenting season. But we're on to season five now. 
which is all about identity, which is really the crux of what we're trying to do here, which is helping people to really understand their stories. So, you know, started off as inspiration. I think it's still very much as an inspiration, but it really also just serves as a tool for Jen and I to just keep a pulse on the narratives and the stories that are out there um, as we shape our business and what is actually resonating with our community. So it helps to inform us um, and we just love it. I think Anika nailed it. Our our podcast is hosted by Anika and it is so much fun. Over the course of our five seasons, we have covered season one was about people reclaiming their unique culture. A lot of people had assimilated or moved away or, or you know, didn't realize the beauty in their, you know, given culture. Season two was about people celebrating their culture, either in their work or in their parenting or in their art. Season three was about, sorry, season two was honoring. Season three was about celebration. So it could be about weddings and the traditions that you have in coming of age uh, celebrations, um, you know, your favorite holiday. Season four was about documenting. So we have you as a podcaster collecting these stories, but we also had professional genealogists and professional historians giving tips and tricks on how to collect and then this season oh my gosh like just we're like you know what let's not force this anymore this is just about stories like let's just talk to really cool people and get their story and I think that's what we're going to be doing now a little bit more like you is just let's capture these stories because they are so unique and just because you know there are a lot of people who are Asian you talk about the diaspora and the way they got to where they are and the intermarriages, even if it's someone from Northern China versus Southern China, that changes who you are and shapes your family. And um, that's that's what, those are the stories we want to tell because everyone should be proud of their unique family history. That was so great. Thank you for sharing your story, everything that you're doing right now for the community. For those that want to find out more about you, what you do, where they can find everything that you've been doing and support you, where they can do so, let them know. Plug it away. Awesome. Thank you, Kyle, for having us on. This has been so much fun. We learned a ton. And uh, we, if anyone is interested in learning more about Root and Seed, you can go to our website, www.rootandseed.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You'll also uh, be able to buy our online um our, sorry, buy our conversation cards as well as get free access to the mobile tool with all of the conversation prompts and the functionality to get dig deepers and uh, record your conversation to store in a safe private library. If you just want to like follow us on social media, we love building our community. We're available pretty much on any social network at Root and Seed Co. And our podcast is available wherever you love listening to podcasts. Search for the Root and Seed podcast. We're also available on Apple and Spotify and all of those places if those are your preferred ones. And uh, hopefully we get to talk to you again soon, Kyle. This is great. Yeah, it was an awesome conversation. Thank you, YouTube both, for coming on, sharing your perspective and your story. It was a lot of fun and all the best to all the things that you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to What Kind of Asian Are You? We hope that our conversations about the diverse experiences and perspectives within the Asian community have been enlightening 
and thought-provoking. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at WhatKindOfAsianPod for updates and behind-the-scenes content. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. It really helps us reach more listeners who could benefit from these important conversations. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee through the link in our bio. Every little bit helps us continue to bring you new episodes each and every week. Most importantly, we hope you'll tune in next week for another insightful conversations about being Asian. Until then, take care.